Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we are back in the podcast studio and we're on the phone once again with another pancreatic cancer survivor, Kim Manupelli, calling in all the way from Pittsburgh. How are you, Kim? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Full disclosure, and we've said this often on the podcast, and I think this is just something that's so powerful for our listeners. We met via social media, and you had reached out to us because you had listened to or seen one of our podcast promotions on one of your friends who you became friends with via social media. So the good in social media here and connecting survivors is pretty special. And and for us, you know, allowing us to connect to survivors and, and hear their stories and share their stories on this podcast has been awesome. So with that, Kim, as we always do with all our guests, the first couple minutes or however long you want to take is your opportunity to share with our audience your backstory. And as I always tell our guests, you can go as far back as you want. You can stay as high level as you want, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I, I did try to write this down because I feel like I have been on a major roller coaster ride of positives and negatives and positives and just listen for the last two years. I've or two years plus now. I've just been holding on for the ride. So, um, I actually, in June 2017, started noticing I um, was having some pains in my left side um, of my upper abdomen, and then they started going to my back. And um, I started stretching. I started exercising, thinking maybe something else was going on. And I did go to see my PCP at the time um, about it, and he did nothing. He said, Here's some opermeprazole, you know, for acid reflux. Take it. Give me a call in a couple months. So I'll be honest with you. When I walked out that door and never got the prescription filled, I immediately felt you need to find somebody new to go to. Um, it was kind of alarming to me. And I don't know. I, I've always had um, a really good instinct. I don't know why. I don't know where it comes from. I believe God. But um so I did. Um, I had to go find a new PCP because I needed to find out why was I having these pains? What was it? It wasn't going away. It didn't have anything to do when I was eating or anything like that. So I found a new PCP, um, told her about the pain. Um, they did a sonogram at the time and they did say, hey, we see some small stones in your gallbladder and one in your kidney, really small, very minor. Um, and so to make a long story short, at that point, I found a surgeon to do a gallbladder, to have my gallbladder taken out. Um, had that surgery. Um, about a week after recovering from that surgery, which was very simple for me, um, I started noticing the pains were back. Didn't make much sense to me, too, because I kept saying to myself, the gallbladder's on my right. Why are these pains on my left? Didn't make any sense. So um, I kept pushing. Um, and that's the one thing I want to stress to everybody. Please listen to your body, men and women advocate, go to the doctor. If you have a pain, even if they tell you it's nothing, it's better to find out nothing than to find out cancer. Um, I can't, I just can't stress that enough. It, it actually chokes me up when I think about it, but so, um, I, the new doctor ended up getting me a CT scan and they said, Hey, we do see a mass on your pancreas. Now, fortunate enough for me, um, I will say, and I think fortunate enough, 
it was in the tail of the pancreas. And they said, we're going to do an endoscopic ultrasound on it. So they did that, came back and they said, no cancer cells. But the surgeon said, listen, I, I still think you should get in there and have it done um, because of the size of it. And I said, okay, no problem. I, I always face anything medical, surgery, any kind, um, very positively. Let's get in there. I'm going to have a nice little sleep. I'm going to go to sleep for a while and then I'm going to be fine. So that was always my attitude. Um, but the surgeon that was talking to me at the time, although she had great credentials, I something told me to go and find the gentleman that did my gallbladder. Um, I thought he was just excellent, wanted to go back to him. So I went to his office and I talked to him and he said, absolutely, let's get in there. I shared all my charts and everything with him. And uh, so we scheduled the surgery. And um, right before I went in, he said, hey, I just noticed that your CA-19-9, which is a marker, um, that it's a blood marker that shows pancreatic cancer, a little, you know, elevations or whatever in the blood. Um, and mine was 86, which was still considered low, but I guess everywhere I read says 35 and under is the best. Yeah, that's, so it's low, but it's ahead. not, uh, I guess, well, I'm not a physician, so no, neither it's am not, I. it's and not normal. Let's put it that way. That's higher. Right. That's, I think it's something to be aware of. Right. And so right. this is like when you, when you have to advocate for yourself, like, you know, that's Absolutely. where, you know, what do you know? Like, is that, yeah, it seems like a low number, but you know, we've had right. people talk about, you know, numbers that are in the tens of thousands, right? Like th that, that number can be huge. It is amazing to me. Yeah. I know it is amazing. So 86, you know, but this is while he's putting me under, he's telling me. This. And I really wanted to give him a nice little pop in the face. But right, right before you're going under. Thought. Oh, by the way, yeah, Kim. Thinking, really positive thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Hi, you know, but honestly, um, he was such a wonderful surgeon. I will share his name with anybody that needs to reach out in the Pittsburgh area. He was just fabulous. Dr. Harry Kenneth Williams at AGH. Love him. So had the surgery done. Um, obviously was in the hospital recovering. Um, it was a tough recovery. I will say they don't let you eat anything. And, you know, you're there day in and day out and you're wondering this whole time, you know, what's going on, what's going to happen. They don't have the biopsy back for you until I believe it was five or six days later, he comes walking in and says, Kim, I hate to tell you, but it is pancreatic cancer. And I just looked at him and my answer to him was, is it a death sentence? And he said, absolutely not. You had surgery. Um, we're going to suggest chemo. And, you know, honestly, I moved on from that moment. I said to my husband, you know, he came in the room and you, we did. You know, the shock of cancer is difficult. That's the hardest part. Um, but you can get through it. That is my message to everybody. That is why I'm willing to help anybody that is going through it. Because um, modern medicine is wonderful. Holistic medicine is wonderful. You have to you have to combine the both, find what works for you. But the mental attitude and faith in God are the two things that got me through. Um, so my husband and I cried briefly, and then I looked at him and I said, "Listen, we're getting out of here. I've got to go grocery shopping. It's going to be Thanksgiving. I got to get ready." That was my attitude. I swear, it's been my attitude since day one. I refuse to be a sick patient. I refuse. I don't have time for it. Kim, can I just step in here for a yes, second? Sir. So. Yep. You know, with your name, Manu Pelli, Varelli, we could open a, a Italian deli together 
to add some okay. some comedy here to this. So <laughs> I just you know for me from a family, I, so I I get when you you know you had this news, but then you mm-hmm. know you get over it, but then you said, hey, I gotta I gotta go and cook Thanksgiving dinner because. You know, that's yeah. something that's probably really important to the family, I would assume, just being from the Italian culture. Right. Absolutely. It's important for me to show my sons that um, I can be strong through this, you know, yeah. and that I can do what it takes to survive. And I will. I will always do that. Um, wow. You know, it, it's just it's driven me. Honestly, it has driven me when I think about my children and my husband, you know. And my boys aren't young, you know, 27 and 24, um, but they're everything, you know, they're the whole reason I'm here. So um, let's move on from that. So I don't get too teary eyed on you, but that's um, okay. That's okay. So we did this and I did the chemo and I was on, um, and I like to tell people gem cytobine and capsidabine. Mm -hmm. It was fine. I had some side effects as far as my feet, the skin on my feet burned and my hands would get real red and sore and burn, but I got through it. You know, everybody talks about the side effects as far as, you know, diarrhea, nausea and all that. And my brain worked as you get on the brat diet, hurry up, eat some rice. You know, you need to eat rice. You need to bulk up, you know, or it was just the way I handled things. It was just my mental attitude told me that there were better things for me to do than to sit around and stress over this, even though I did. It took me a very long time to get out and talk to other people about it. It really did. Um, in the beginning, I didn't even want to go outside. I didn't want to go to the grocery store for my family. I wanted to stay home. And my husband said, and I, I told my husband basically was, um, I didn't want to run into people and people to find out. It's so weird. Um, the things that go through your head as a cancer patient is just very difficult. And um, he just told me, he said, every time you run into somebody, they're going to pray for you. So just think of it that way, which, I mean, thank God for him. He's wonderful. Um, but back to my cancer journey. So I did the chemo. And during the chemo, they asked me to get genetic testing, which I did. Mm-hmm. And I stressed that another point, very important for everybody out there. Please get the genetic testing. Um, I am BRCA2. So they found out that I am BRCA2. Um, which in the long run, even though I was upset that I found that out, it turned out to be a good thing. Um, so they so change between, your, I would imagine at that point, then they change your protocol possibly. Well, I finished the capsidabine and gemcitabine and about, um, I finished that in, I have it written here, May. Mm-hmm. And in August I did a hysterectomy because that is what ovarian, the doctors yep. had suggested. Okay. To get rid of any chance of ovarian cancer. Um, that was horrific. <laughs> it was not the easiest surgery for me. Um, I will tell you when the doctor came back, she told me that everything was clear and good. Um, about a few weeks after um, they did the biopsy on everything that came out, they said they saw um, cells that were similar to. Hmm. That's all I kept hearing, cells that are similar to. So now I'm thinking, okay, now it's in my ovaries, right? Um, I kept questioning the doctors and I kept saying to them, how could they say similar to if it's pancreatic cancer, it's pancreatic cancer. If it's not, it's not. What do you mean similar to? And I honestly began to put up a little bit of a fight. Um, so they sent it back, all the all the uh, washings and everything to John Hopkins. And John Hopkins came back and said, 
no cancer pump. So this is what I mean by the roller coaster ride. You know, you're taking on this big monster, you beat it a little bit, then it comes back. Then you find out, no, it's not back, then it's back. You know, it's just crazy. So um, John Hopkins came back and said no cancer, and I moved on. From the hysterectomy. Um, yes, yes, sir. So now if I'm following the timeline here, this all happens and starts to begin in June. And I'm taking notes mm -hmm. here, Kim, as well as, as you're talking. Yes, sir. So mm -hmm. the hysterectomy you said was in May. So that I would assume that's May of 18? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So almost a year to when you were diagnosed, you yes. were kind of done with your pancreatic treatment. And then right. I know they don't like to operate you know, typically, and this is for any cancers, but I know with, with the BRCA population, like let's say someone, uh, a female, for example, has a double, uh, you know, uh, uh, breast removal, then they wait till they do all their treatments and whatever they have to do. And then they'll do the hysterectomy after, Right. you know, right. um, so that, so you had to wait kind of till everything was done with the initial disease, initial mm -hmm. cancer, and then you move mm -hmm. on to like step two, I guess. Right. Right. Hmm. So that's what I was basically doing. And I was kind of planning this all out in my head. You know, this is when I was going to take care of this and this was yeah. next. And this is how I was going to move on. Um, again, I think it's part of my survival instincts. That's just what I do. I plan. So, you know, John Hopkins comes back and says, no. And then I believe it was in October, um, after that surgery, recovered, went through that. Uh, then in October, I had a scan done. And they said, um, we see something in your right rectus muscle of your abdomen. I'm like, hmm, here we go. A bit frustrating. Um, so they did a biopsy on it and they came back and said, um, the cells were similar to um, my oncologist came in. She was, you know, very straightforward with me, very flushed about things and said, um, we're going to do chemo again. And this was really a hard thing for me and a hard thing for my family, because at this point now you're talking. Uh, my initial diagnosis was stage two. And now, obviously, you're stage four. OK, because they're saying it's spread. I still have an instinct in me that that was not cancer. I don't know why. Um, yes, I want to defy doctors. Of course I do. My oncologist knows that. Um, there's something in me that still says, well, wait, all those washings came out for my hysterectomy. John Hopkins said no cancer. How can this be cancer now? You know, but my oncologist from day one, when she met me, she knew she was meeting somebody that wasn't always going to be a conformist. I uh, <laughs> was going to always ask questions. Matter of yeah. fact, the first thing I said to her, um, besides hugging her, because she's wonderful, Dr. Monga at AGH in Pittsburgh, um, I told her no negatives. Never a negative for me at all. I didn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it to this day. Um, statistics are the way they are. I blame the statistics because too many people are afraid to go to a doctor. So let's get off the statistics. Yeah. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's body is different. Don't read the internet. It's not worth it. So at this point, she says, I'm going to go on chemo, which is the 5-FU, um, which from what I understand now is the change of protocol. This is the first round they give you, which is wonderful. It should be. Um, it's definitely a lot stronger. I am blessed that I handled it well. I was just very much my normal self through it. Um, and it killed everything there. Um, 
So at this point, I go through all the chemo. Matter of fact, you're only supposed to do 12 rounds. I ended up doing 18 rounds of it just to make sure since my body was handling it so well, she thought it made sense. So, and I trust her dearly with my life, obviously. And um, so I did the 18 rounds in the week that I was supposed to end my chemo. They approved Limparza, Mm -hmm. which is a PARP inhibitor Mm -hmm. um, for pancreatic cancer. For BRCA. Yes. Yeah. BRC2. So I was amazed. I was going off the chemo. She was prescribing the Limparza. I literally got on it, just had a scan in January um, 2020, and no evidence of disease. Matter of fact, it was so plain vanilla. It was amazing. So it's pretty special. It is. It, it moves me like you have no idea. It's been a ride, but, you know, I talk to people all the time. You obviously know Helen in Australia. Yeah. Um, McGregor and uh, Emma. And I, even this morning, I was talking to a caregiver whose husband, um, Floor, her husband, Pat, has pancreatic. And she called me this morning on the way to work asking if she could talk to me. She lives in New York. We've never met face to face. But I'm absolutely there for everybody. Anybody. I don't care if you have pancreatic, breast, colon, whatever. You know, I just want to let people know that you can get through it. And nothing's to say that I'm done. No way. You know that. Um, but while I am here, I'm going to fight and I'm going to help everybody that I possibly can. It's powerful stuff, Kim. I want to back up a bit. Sure. So if we go back to the very beginning and from just from a clinical standpoint, June 17, you kind of go through what I call the roller coaster, the rigmarole, whatever you want to call it. Prior to having the gallbladder out, no one ever suggested doing like a CT scan of your abdomen though. No. And the thing that amazed me too is where I was having the pain and what pancreatic cancer symptoms are. You know, we have to start with our doctors. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Our PCPs have to be more aware. Well, that's I mean, a, that's the first... biggest challenge, right? To the system because we don't wow. have a universal healthcare system where in other countries they have this, you know, this right. turnkey where they can, you know, turn flip the switch to make sure that everyone is aware of the signs and symptoms. Now you may not get surgery for a longer time and you may not get the best surgery. You know, there's there's pros and cons to that, but yeah, I I couldn't disagree. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. Right. But prior to that, and this is where, so you didn't have, if we talk about that June 17, you just had this pain in the left side. There wasn't any, diarrhea there wasn't or i shouldn't say diarrhea but any gi issues right any lower... well you know what was really weird is when i was going through that pain and i think this is this was after i saw my pcp and told yeah. him and all i had had at that point was the pain in my left side and i will tell you i said to a friend of mine you know i'm very concerned it's pancreas and she's like what are you talking about <laughs> and i will tell you at that point i was not as educated as i am today yeah so I don't even know what gave me that instinct, really. I don't have it in my family. Um, so there's no evidence of cancer in your family because the gene mutation, the BRCA, is passed on from sure. family to family. So I will tell you, yeah, the only thing that my dad had was um, prostate cancer, but he had a very, very mild, 
I don't even think they considered him stage one. He never did chemo or anything. I think they had found it, um, you know, just on a whim. Which and, is linked to uh, BRCA, though. You know that, right? Like, exactly. Yeah, so that, exactly. Yeah. So well, it's, not it's only that, but 20 years ago, I had a melanoma. Which is linked to um, BRCA, too. Exactly. And we don't know all that. 20 years yeah. ago, if I would have known that this was all linked, you think I, I would have been on the ball with my doctors. Well, um, I, it, it's amazing. In fairness though, Kim, like hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And then, so that's exactly. why I asked the question. So, so you had this family history, but it wasn't like a, a blaring family history that some families right. have. And then you had this incidence of melanoma, which is a pretty common cancer. Um, yeah. You know, and some are, are more aggressive than others clearly. But in terms of symptoms, though, there wasn't anything prior to June of 17. And again, hindsight being 2020, it's easy to look back right. at this, that like, hey, you had jaundice or you had like this massive GI episode or you couldn't eat nope. and you were losing weight. So there wasn't really anything glaring. And that's where I, I think in fairness, maybe a little bit, not to that letting the GP off the hook here, uh, the general practitioners or those primary care physicians that... Um, and this is what I've heard because of the vagueness of the disease, right? And there's mm -hmm. no diagnostic test mm -hmm. that a lot of times these quote unquote, if we had a, a vlog, I'm doing air quotes here, these symptoms mm -hmm. that present themselves are so vague. But I think in this day and age, we're not talking about 20 years ago. We're talking about, you know, you know, it's only been two years, two, two and a half years, three years where, you know, something, the light bulb should have went off maybe in, in a CT scan. And I don't know if that's an insurance thing or, you know, it's a, if it's a system wide, I, I, I have my own personal feelings that I think it's just a system wide thing that I think in mm -hmm. the United States that people, right. physicians don't want to over test because they, maybe they'll be labeled as someone who over tests or they'll be like an insurance abuser. <laughs> I don't right, know. Right. I don't know. I know. No, I understand. Cause I, I wish everybody could get a CT scan when they have a concern like that, yeah. or at least do a baseline. Well, you you have, know, we do yeah. But if you have symptoms though, like you, I, I'm certainly not advocating that anyone who has, um, you know, no symptoms, just go right. out and get these body scans, which I've seen, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk about that. But I think if you if you are symptomatic and clearly now knowing that you have, you know, the, these things that like you check the box, you know, uh -huh. and I think we've got to get better. Clearly you check the box on a lot of things. And, and in 17, you know, like with a melanoma and with a father who had prostate. Someone uh -huh. should have checked that box. I'm not putting the blame on anyone and not trying to get you upset here, but I think no, no, no. it wasn't that far along. I mean, genetic testing last year in 2019 was mandated for everyone who had pancreatic cancer. So now, Absolutely. you know, that's, yep. that's a guideline that has to be followed, uh -huh. you know? So, right. I mean, you're only talking, you know, you're only off by a year and a half, which, you know, right. and, and you're not in, you know, no offense to anyone who lives in East Oshkosh, nowhere, but like Pittsburgh's a big medical center, you know, like that's absolutely, a, the, you know, the, thank God. Yeah, I know. You, know, you have quality care. So these guys should have known. So I, I want to just ask about the process. So you get diagnosed in June of 17. But then you go through this roller coaster of you know being your your biggest advocate, finding the proper uh, primary care physician to kind of listen to your concerns because you mm -hmm. weren't getting any better. You have the gallbladder removed. 
And then when do you officially get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? So I had my surgery um, in November. So November of 17. Yes. So it's about six months then. Yeah. Well, a little bit less. So the surgery that you had, and that was another question, was it a Whipple or was it a pancreatectomy or a distal? It was called a distal pancreatectomy with the the splenectomy. They took the spleen Spleen. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So again, still a pretty serious surgery. I mean, that's not, I think, and that was, was that done orthoscopically or is that done traditionally? Yeah. Orthoscopically. Yes. Orthoscopically. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, and you know, it was, um, definitely not as difficult as a Whipple, um, from everybody that I talked to that has gone through the Whipple, but, um, they did have to take my spleen because they said I had a thrombosis in the spleen, you know? So, um, it was pretty extensive. You know, I still treated it like I was going to the dentist. So that's just my personality and uh, loved waking up with the surgeon and talking to him. But yeah, and it, it was tough. It was tough, but I got through it. I mean, I was in the hospital, I think, for about a week. So from um, I would say from the time October of 2017 that they actually did the CT scan and saw what was in there. So from August to October. I think that's what it took me to advocate for myself and get information that I needed. And then my surgeon, obviously, to schedule the surgery, you know. Now, you, you've mentioned a couple times about the instincts and having these good instincts. Is that something that, and we'll, we could back up a little bit further, not to give out your age here on the podcast. And my mom always tells me never to ask a a female, what their age is, but is no, that I'm something? Fine. I'm, <laughs> see, I'm proud to be 54 years old and I hope to be 84 years old someday. And Dino, you still can call me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that's a, that's a deal. Yeah. Uh, I hopefully not do I Hopefully I won't be doing this, but hopefully we'll stay friends after this yeah. podcast. Um, and, and the only reason I say that, cause then we, we found a cure, you know, we, we've helped a lot of people. That's, that's my goal is I, I don't want to be sure. doing this the rest of my life because that means we're out of, I want to put ourselves out of business here at Project Purple. So when you talk about these instincts, was it something that just, I'm really just fascinated about sharing this information with our audience because we've had guests on the podcast and this arc that these survivors, you're, you included go on this journey is just really fascinating to me and really fascinating to share. So when you talk about good instincts, was this something that was just learned or something that you've always had, or maybe there's like a, a point in life where like this, this just kind of all clicked for you. So, um, even with the melanoma, um, 20 years ago, I will tell you literally how it happened. Um, I was sitting outside talking on the phone. I went in the house, I sat down, I looked down at my leg at the summertime, I had shorts on, I said, boy, that doesn't look right. I called my um, dermatologist immediately, got in that day, which was amazing. And he said, oh, no, it doesn't look like anything. I said, I'm telling you, it's going to be something. Sure enough, it was. I don't know what gives me this instinct. I really do not. I mean, um, I think it's, you know, with my health, um, with people I meet, I don't know. I don't know what the instinct, I don't know where it comes from, but I don't mess around either. And that's something that, you know, I wish I could share with a lot of people because I know some people are really afraid to go to the doctors. Um, 
you know, they're concerned. They don't want to get a diagnosis. I have a husband who's very similar to that. And I just think that, you know, people have to take their lives a little bit more into their own hands and, um, you know, just demand a little bit better. Maybe it's the Italian in you. I don't. It's not Italian because I'm an Irish girl. I only married the Italian. Oh, Dino. so you inherited the last name. So maybe it's the Irish yeah. in you then, Kim. It's the old Irish girl with no whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah. I, I know you said the other thing that I, I wanted to just touch on here, too. You said, like, your mental attitude was key. And do you mm-hmm. find that's something that, again, if you look back, and hindsight's always easy to share with our audience, that this was something yeah. that just like going through high school, through college, you know, as a young adult mm-hmm. uh, that you just always kind of possessed or something that you learned or kind of something you worked on over the uh, years? I honestly think, um, I think I've always been like this. And I think my dad um, has a lot to contribute to this, even though he's gone now. Um, I was just always a positive person. Um, I always liked change change never bothered me, those kind of things. Um, but instincts and, and attitude, attitude is everything. Um, anytime I had any kind of medical, surgical, anything, my attitude was always, oh, they're going to give me good drugs and I'm going to go to sleep for a while. And, and that was just my attitude it was like, Hey, I'm a mom. I have two kids. I could really use a good sleep. So, you know, um, <laughs> now they're grown, obviously. Yeah. And the husband is the biggest kid I have, but you know, Honestly, I never was afraid of doctors. I was never afraid to go and have a test done to make sure. Um, of course, you're afraid when you're going through it and you're stressed. But, you know, I, I just always had this feeling that like, you know, as a matter of fact, um, they were very shocked at the doctors when I went and they were talking about a mastectomy because, you mm. know, obviously BRCA2. Yeah, with breast. And um, they're, they're holding off on that now. But when they were talking to me about it, I told them that as a very young child and I remember talking to my grandmother about this that if they ever had to take my boobs <laughs> go ahead take them I don't want them you know and I always said that like if I ever had I always said if I ever had breast cancer let them just take them yeah I don't know where that comes from but that's just always been my attitude it's you know I guess life is more important I don't know I really don't know um, where that that attitudes come from. Well, it's powerful for our audience to hear though. I mean, because, you know, your attitude can be changed, right? Like you can change Uh you. We all have the ability to change our attitudes. Sure. So someone who has a a negative pessimistic attitude can simply change to a positive attitude. And someone who has a positive attitude can simply change to a negative attitude. The choice is ours, right? So you inherently made a choice Uh subconsciously and consciously to have this, positive outlook to look at these things as you said i you know you said oh i trust my surgeons i'm going to get really good drugs and i'm going to go to sleep yeah those are two things that will help me get through this so from a positive standpoint you know looking at it that versus saying oh no i've got to have surgery and who's going to cook or who's going to take care of the kids or what's going to happen what's the outcome going to be right Um, but that's something that's really really powerful and and kim that doesn't cost you anything no, it doesn't. And I'll be honest with you. There's a young lady in California. Um, her name's Erin. And we found each other through social media. And she is a pancreatic BRCA2 as well. 
um, and she had to do chemo and then go for her Whipple. And her pen, her PC doctor was telling her, oh, it's going to be a horrible recovery and all this stuff. And I kept saying to her, Aaron, you are young. You are strong. You are going to go in there. And she happened to be um, an artist as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kept telling her, I said, look, you do all these drawings and I see you posting them on your Instagram. I want you to draw a picture of yourself with muscles and strong that you're going to go into this surgery and you are going to kick cancer's ass. And she said to me, oh my gosh, I'm going to do it. And I said, let's do this, Aaron. And I, I have not met that young lady either, but I will tell you, this is my goal in life. This is what, why I'm here now is to help these other people. And she drew the picture and she put it on her Instagram and she told me, I, I mean, honest, I think the young lady was up and out of the hospital in five days. Like she did phenomenally through this surgery. And I just kept telling her and feeding her that, you know, her body was young. Mm-hmm. Um, she could bounce back a lot faster than somebody who's 20 years older than her, you know. And I told her, I said, you know, you go. And she was terrified. But I kept telling her, you know, you go in there with a strong attitude. I will pray for you. And to me, God is everything. It's my faith. My faith is what's gotten me through. Maybe my faith is what's given me the instinct. I don't know. But um, God has surely been great to me. So let me push it on to others. And and she did fabulous. She really did. And she drew the picture and I was so proud of her. Like I was just, I felt like she was my child going through this. And I just kept telling her how proud I was of her, you know, That's so, so it's, awesome. it's that kind of motivation that we have to share with others. This is why I keep, you know, on social media, reaching out to individuals with pancreatic, with breast, with colon. I don't care what kind they have, you know, it's, it's the initial fear of getting the diagnosis. Because right away you think, oh my gosh, I have cancer. Um, you think you're going to die. And that's all you can think about. You know, how do I plan for the end of my life? And the other hard part is, and I talked to somebody else the other day about this, was I did not want this to be my story. My life was not going to be, she died from pancreatic cancer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, it's not my story. My story is she was a loving, caring, God-fearing, faithful woman. You know, that's me. And I'm never going to let that go, ever. Powerful stuff. I mean, it's kind of airy for me, Kim, because I've heard this often on our podcast from our survivors. Mm-hmm. And I, I think mm-hmm. what you just said it hits home, and hopefully for the audience listening at home, about attitude, but like this, this doesn't define you. It's not, it's not you. It doesn't even, Absolutely you don't not. even identify with it. Right. Like it's right. just a, a, a moment I refuse in time. To. Yeah. I refuse to, I ran into a friend yesterday. Um, when I was out, I had to run to the store and she just went through breast cancer and she said, Kim, you look great. You wouldn't even know. And I said, that's my goal. Yeah. My goal is to meet people and then to never know. And not that I don't want to share my story. I'll share it with anybody who needs me to. But on a regular basis, I just want to be me. If you didn't like me before, please don't like me now. <laughs> Let's just be me. You know what I mean? Just be me. That's it. That's all I care about. And the rest will follow. That's uh, exactly right. And so I really, really try to stress that with everybody I talk to and whether it's a caregiver or someone going through it that, you know, just really keep a positive attitude and stay strong and, you know, have some faith in God. 
um, because I do really think that a lot of these cancers can be beat. I just think that it's, you know, the will of the person as well, like the strength that, you know, I mean, I went through 18 rounds of that 5-FU, and when I read that people can't even get through one or two, it just breaks my heart. That's amazing. So you you talk about faith. So was faith something that's always been a part of your life? Always. Yeah, it always has been. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a lot stronger now because I've seen what the power of prayer can do. And I am truly blessed with neighbors and friends that have been just praying amazingly for me. Um, You know, it's quite um, touching when you, I went to a wedding and a friend of mine introduced me to someone, a friend of hers, right? And this lady's name, my friend is Cindy, and her uh, friend was Candy. And she came up to me and said, you know, I pray for you every day. I've never met the woman in my life. And it brought me to tears because it, to me, it's the best thing you can do. You know, I know other people might say, hey, I want to bring you a meal during the day or come help you clean your house or something. The best thing you can do for any cancer patient is to pray and to pray hard. Well, that was one of my questions um, yes. that we've asked often on this podcast, because I think as caregivers, mm-hmm. and this happens a lot, we get a lot of questions like, what can I do? Like my friend was just diagnosed right. or, you know, and, and regardless of the cancer, right? you know, people I think have this almost paralysis. So it, it, there's, I've seen two instances, people get paralyzed by it, by someone that they care about getting the disease, right? but then also they have this overambition, which, and how I define that is they want to like try to make things better for that person. Right. Right. But sometimes that has like a negative reaction, right? Because as you said, like prayer is the most powerful thing that, you know, someone can do for someone who's battling, which doesn't cost anything. Right. Um, It is very conscious. You know, I think Mm -hmm. there's some consciousness that has to happen there. Um, but it's, it's super powerful and it, and it doesn't, you know, um, doesn't take a lot of time either. So, but I think people have this sense, like when people get sick, they have to do this over the top. Like we have to bring dinners for a whole month or we have to, Mm -hmm. you know, and that we've heard from many survivors on the podcast that the best things are keeping things normal, like not Mm -hmm. worrying about, like, don't just be normal talk about whatever you used to talk about. And, you know, as you said before, like you didn't want people to know so that people, you know, treat you the same, the way they would treat you if they saw you in church or saw you at the supermarket, not knowing that you had this going on. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's, that's so powerful, you know, and, 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 um, I appreciate you sharing that. And I do have a question on the faith. Sure. Was there ever a point going through this that you questioned your faith and your and your belief in God? No. And the reason I say that is because there were times when I sat there and prayed to God and said, why me? Everybody does it. It is a normal response. Um, did I ever blame God? Absolutely not. Um, I just knew that he has a different journey for me. And if my journey is to get this, to show my friends, show my family, show anybody that guess what? Life is short, work hard, get out there, pray hard. 
and love the people you love, you know, live life. Um, it's really, really important, really important every single day. And, um, yeah, I never questioned that. I never questioned my faith in God. Um, even when it came back, well, or when they said it did, I still don't believe it. Dr. Mongo's probably sitting there cringing when I say that, but, um, I, you know, that was one of the things that, that my aunt said to me, she said, you know, I can't believe that you've never wavered in your faith. And I just, it, this is not God's fault. God, we are all his children. He wants to give us good. You know what I mean? Um, this is just, you know, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know if I blame anybody. I mean, I know cancer patients do go through a period where they blame themselves because in your head, you start thinking, you know, I have children. Can this be passed down to them? You know what I mean? That kind of yeah. thing. And, um, but you know, one thing I have truly learned is cancer does not discriminate. It does not. The people that I have met and talked to honestly blows my mind. Um, doesn't matter how physically in shape you are. Doesn't matter what color you are, how old you are. And I'm talking pancreatic cancer, which is amazing because one of the things they always say is, you know, you're not um, as susceptible to pancreatic cancer until you're in your later 70s, mid 70s. Yeah. That is not true. No. Um, you know, 16 year olds, 20 year olds, uh, young lady that's over in Mexico, Moho, and um, beautiful girl, got married last year, just absolutely beautiful. We talk and... Um, 24 she was diagnosed i believe and 26 she had a reoccurrence hmm. you know she has and all i could say to god was please protect her because she hasn't even had the life i've had yet you know it's so I mean, crazy I've been very yeah. blessed, but you know what i'm saying yeah um, no I, I why, think that's one of the things i think people tend to forget and i, I know statistically if you look at the data and, and i don't not an expert on the data. I think some of the data is older where I can mm -hmm. see that. But I do think sure. over the last three to four years, I have seen, and maybe because we're we're in this so deep now with talking to mm -hmm. so many survivors, mm -hmm. that the age is, is a lot less. I mean, it's not 60 plus. It's not 70 oh. plus. I mean, and, and we've helped families here at Project Purple where unfortunately, sadly, they had two young boys, uh, one was eight and one was 10. Um, unfortunately they both passed away, but, um, they're very rare, I think in, in those cases, but I have seen in the last, I mean, I've been doing this 10 years, Kim, and you know, yeah. in the last couple years within the last five years, it's not uncommon to get someone in their thirties. I mean, we've had people, we've helped people. I've talked to people in their twenties, you know, yeah. on the podcast, we had a, a young gentleman, Mateo Pacero, who's in his 20s, you know, who who had this disease. Um, we just had a gentleman um, out of Missouri, Ryan Hanadel, who was 39. Wow. You know, so, yeah. you know, it's not uncommon. Um, and, you know, guess what? 52, 54, that's young. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you know, and, you know, again, looking back at those statistics, Kim, it's not an old right. person's disease. And I, I think that's something that, you know, I don't know how, I mean, I guess statistically when they, when they started to look at this data, and I think this is the, this is the challenge from a medical community. This is just a, a theory here, not a conspiracy theory, but a theory. 
Sure. When we don't have a diagnostic test and these people become asymptomatic, which typically happens later in, in staging, I think in the past, it's always kind of been presumed that it's just old people, right? Like, and they just chalk mm-hmm. that up where, and again, if we don't have a test, it's kind of hard to like pinpoint when people are, are actually getting the disease at a stage one or stage two. And, and mm-hmm. I've seen from a scientific, I've read some reports where, you know, they've talked about like, so you had this at stage two mm-hmm. in June of 17, mm-hmm. but when did those cells show up? You know, and some, right. we've had some clinicians on, we've had clinicians on that they say, you know, and I've asked the question, they say it could be 10 years, you know, right. it, it takes 10 right. years to actually start to see the effects of this disease. So that means that, you know, if we had a test at 40, you know, at, at 42, right. you would have probably been diagnosed with this thing, just like a yes. mammogram. Yes, or, exactly. Uh, 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 you know, when they look at ovarian cancer, you know, a pap test or, you know, mm-hmm. a prostate, they do the PSA test. So mm-hmm. because we don't have this diagnostic tool, I think a lot of these cancers start a lot sooner. So to say that it's just an old person disease is inaccurate, right? Because it's not. I agree. You know, so that's a scary thing, I think, for, you know, not to put the fear of God in everyone, but. Sure. You know, I think that's just uh, from a, a realistic standpoint and also just from a point of, you know, what, um, you know, what we, what we have going on and what we know, I guess I should say. So right. I, you, I want to bring something up because you mentioned something early on. I have been taking notes. You mentioned holistic treatment, and this uh-huh. is a topic that's come up on, on multiple podcasts. When I hear the word holistic, I think of anything non-traditional outside of what you're getting. So did you use anything non-traditional that was prescribed by your oncologist or your primary care physician during your treatment? So um, I always let my oncologist know that I was doing some supplements. Um, I have a holistic doctor that um, I talked to and I reached out to him. Um, His name's Len. And um, I reached out to him quickly, pretty much fairly early uh, in the process. And so when I was going through the first round of chemo, um, he had put me on this supplement and it was fermented wheat germ and it was um, called Avamar. And basically, and I hope I'm getting this right, he's probably going to tell me I didn't get it right, but. <laughs> Honestly, it kept my body um, stronger. Um, I feel like uh, from using it, I guess it was supposed to help me um, keep my metabolism going, keep my, you know, obviously I, you know, some people when they're on chemo, they're not hungry, they don't eat. Mm -hmm. Um, This really kept me pretty, very normal. And I was really regimented with it as well as I was taking um, vitamin D, which, um, actually vitamin D3, and I was doing 10,000 IU a day, which I'm still doing. Um, what else was I taking? I'm trying to think. Uh, curcumin, mm-hmm. which um, a lot of people suggest, but it does a lot for inflammation. You know, but there, there were different supplements at the time. Um, you know, obviously that's changed a little bit now. When I went through the 5-FU, 
one of the things that the pharmacist at the cancer center said was do not take any vitamin C um, or anything for the immune system because, you know, you're almost like counteracting what the 5-FU was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, you know, honestly, I do take my medical community, you know, I, I really listen to what they have to say and then I incorporate what I feel, but then I will go back to them and make sure, you know, uh, I'm not going to do anything that's going to, especially when you're taking chemotherapy and these drugs are going in, you know, but is there some other way that I can combat, you know, being tired? Is there some other way that I can combat some of the nausea? Um, you know, so, you know, I always let them know, you know, what I was going through. Um, but I do have to say, like, you know, and a lot of people, some people either go the whole holistic route and say, no, I'm going to cure this myself. And some people say, oh, absolutely not. I'm not going to touch anything. So I think it's really a combination. And I think there's a lot of education. And I wish the two communities would work more with each other, you know. Um, but I think that there's a balance. There's there is a balance when it comes to this. And, you know, I think it's important just to recognize that and maybe do whatever research, talk to your doctors, you know, find out the information that is going to work best for you. So did you have this holistic doctor prior to, or when you got sick, you decided to go that route to complement what you were doing? Yeah. So through this whole process, um, my very, very good friend, Pam, she was mainly my caregiver and um, she sacrificed a lot of time in her life to come here and help me. And she was one person that like I gave all my information to, like, you know, I, like I said, a lot of times you don't talk to people about certain things. So she had dealt with him and I had heard about him, but she had dealt with him, um, with her kids through, you know, some things that she was going through way back when. And she said, you should reach out to him. He's very positive. He's very, and he was Len is, um, and anybody that wants anybody, please message me on instant media, uh, Instagram (laughs) or wherever I will give you all the information, but, He's very positive and he's very, um, he does treat a lot of cancer patients and he does help people. Um, and he's extremely intelligent, but his, his empathy is amazing. So, um, just talking to him honestly turned my attitude around as well. Again, because like, like I said in the beginning, you know, you do struggle and you're scared and the fear that goes through you, but he, kept saying to me, Kim, with your attitude, you are going to beat this. You are going to be fine. I mean, he would call me um, to have conversations whenever I needed him to. And the conversations were so powerful and uplifting to me that it, you know, yeah, I'm going to beat this. Absolutely. I'm going to do this, you know, and I'm going to take my vitamins and I'm going to make sure I stay strong and eat healthy and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, I mean, there's just things that I think everybody can do to help themselves and anybody needs help finding out how I don't mind doing that, but uh, you know, it's just important to keep in touch with people that can help you through this. And I think there's, you know, the medical community, like I said, you have to listen to your oncologist, maybe get a second opinion. That's another reason why I did start a blog actually, uh, Dino is because I started when I was starting to talk to people, you know, I was finding out different things that their oncologists are telling them and versus what mine's telling me. And then this, this doctor's telling you this. And so share that information because I tell everybody knowledge is power. 
And it's not that you're going to jump and take maybe because, you know, I did, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, a certain vitamin or something, or, or my oncologist said this, that you're going to take that and run with it. No, you go back to your doctor, you have the conversation, you'll learn a little more, you know, because like I said, everybody's body's different. And so, you know, the more you can learn about this disease, the more you can learn about the chemo drugs you're on. You know, people would say to me, oh, you're on chemo. They're pumping poison into you. No, they're not. I'm just like every other heart, diabetic, any other patient. I'm going to my doctor, get my medicine, going home. That was my attitude. <laughs> I like how you, how you said that. No, they're not. No, they're no, not. No, they're not. <laughs> but I no. think that's, a, I that's mean, the I've education. I me and we're going to kill this monster. That's yeah. how I felt. You know? Yeah. And I think that's where you just said, you know, before though, like balance and education, you know, there's, there's, Absolutely. you know, and I, no one, and again, there's, I, I think, you know, certain things in this world today, I think have given the people the opportunity to say certain things or to, to do certain things that they normally wouldn't. And I think social right. media is one of them. And then naturally, right. you know, the media is another one. So I, but I think, you know, just what you said is just so impactful and powerful because knowledge is power and doctors are very knowledgeable. Most of them, not all of them. Right. And there's good doctors, bad doctors. That's just any field, but you listening have to be your biggest advocate and you listening, our audience have to be knowledgeable on this. And I'm not saying to the audience at home listening, and and maybe there's someone listening, Kim, that might be going through this to, you know, that you're going to battle your doctor every time he makes a recommendation. That's not what we're advocating here. But what we are saying is though, I think that there should be this relationship with your healthcare provider, whether that's your oncologist or your primary care here in this situation, that if you ask the question, or if you bring mm-hmm. it up, it should be a dialogue. It should be a partnership. Absolutely. It shouldn't right. just be like, no, that's not going to work. So, right. and and that's not how you're going to feel really good about like, oh, this experience, right? So there right. has to be that. But then you also, I, I think, you know, and, and this is on us too, like when doctors, and this is just anything I think, and not, not to, to go on a rant here, but like when a doctor says, hey, we're going to do this, you know, you have to have trust in that, but then I think you also have to have reassurance and know that this is going to hopefully do the job it's supposed to do in curing you or getting you to a point where there's another type of treatment protocol, but there's nothing wrong with asking like about that and how effective that's going to be or whatever questions you may have on your mind. Absolutely. And how you do that is by getting educated, right? And and listening to other people. You know, the, the one thing I will say to you and to the audience, which is really powerful. And and this is where we love sharing all these stories because everyone's journey is different and everyone does react differently, right? Like you even said, like the five FU, I've known people, they've gone, like you said, one time and then they're out. Like they, they, and they never feel the same after that, right? Because of the the toxic effects. Mm -hmm. So to know that you did 18 rounds is like rock star, superhero status. Um, And some people, I know a guy who's done a lot as well. Um, he, he's battling through it. But so I, I think that's the one thing that's really powerful, you know, to share. And, and it's not a one size fits all, but I think 
people have to kind of find out what works for them. And so that's, that's right. where I think holistic and traditional medicine can be a, a fantastic complement. I mean, we've had people Absolutely. talk about CBD and, and I'm not pro, I'm not for, I'm not negative, mm-hmm. right. whatever works, find it. You know, and, right. and so, um, you know, I, I think that's something that, you know, for the audience to say at home is really critical here. What you just said is, you know, finding that balance and being mm-hmm. educated on these things because it is important. It is Absolutely. critical. So Absolutely. I've got two more questions for you. And then we want to share with sure. our audience, which is, you know, probably one of the most important things that we do here is just how to connect. But on that note, and you've mentioned this a couple of times. And I know I opened the show and I talked about social media and how we met, but what has that been to you in terms of the impact of social media with your story? I know you've given a couple snippets, but maybe if you can um, share with our audience just the impact from you personally, how it's been. Well, I'll tell you, it took me a long time. As a matter of fact, even on my Facebook page, um, I want to say it was like a year and a half before I sat down one day and I decided that I was going to post this on Facebook, um, not for any other reason than to reach out to the people who are on my Facebook, whether they're high school friends, um, you know, neighbors, whatever, um, to let them know what I was going through. And not that I wanted pity or anything like that, but I wanted to raise awareness. You know, if you have this pain, this is what I went through. Can't believe it, but here I am, right? So um, social media has been building and building for me and becoming more important. Um, You know, I have met some incredible human beings. They have shared with me things that have worked for them. I've shared with them. We've maybe talked each other through, like I said, surgeries, um, just have an uplifting, positive attitude towards others and, and then back at me, you know, I, I actually was asking, um, at one point I, I posted somewhere and I, I believe it was on my blog or Facebook that I wanted prayers for one of the people that, you know, I spoke with that I knew she was going through a really hard time, never thinking that these people would turn around and say, well, we're not only going to pray for her, but we're going to pray for you. And I thought, oh my gosh, what a blessing. Like, I didn't even think, I didn't even think that somebody would respond that way. And it was just amazing. So social media has been wonderful. Um, like I said, I have met some just incredible people and, um, the friendships, the going through the trials together and, And it helps you to feel like, too, that you're not alone because, you know, you know, my husband doesn't have cancer or my friends don't have cancer. So they sometimes they can't relate to some of the things that go through your head. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so this is really it's really been a wonderful thing. And that's where I want to be there for others. And that's why I ended up starting my blog. And um, and I think spreading positive attitude and positive news and survivor news is so important. And I've told more and more people, um, you know, the PanCan site, I do suggest that site a lot to people. And um, I remember when in 2017, somebody had suggested for me to look at that site. And I want to say back then that I only remember seeing like six stories or something of survivors. 
and now there are pages. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that is just so important because, you know, people that are going through the chemo, they need these positive stories. Yes, we're always going to have the negatives. And yes, people do die of pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer. Yes, it happens. But there are positive outcomes. And even in the the worst scenario for some people, when you hear that they've been giving, given thir- three months to live, and they're still out there and they're rocking it 12 years later, you have got to find some power in that. It's powerful stuff. It um, is. I, I, talking about that, whole subject here about mm-hmm. going out to social media. You did say something early on. You didn't you didn't want people to find out. Like you said you didn't want to go to the grocery store. Right. Why was mm-hmm. that? You know, um because this is totally 180 from what we just said yeah, about like, you know, connecting and, and you know absolutely is. And that's what I'm saying to you. It takes everybody that's the other thing that that we can tell the audience. It takes everybody their own time. Yeah. everybody's going to do it in their own time. And you get past that fear. Um, honestly, Dino, when I think about why didn't I want to go out? I, now when I look back, I think, why didn't I? Um, well, hindsight's easy, just, right? We can always look yeah, back, right? Like, I mean, easy. honestly, it was so very stressful for me. And it was so much, um, you know, I couldn't talk about it without crying. Yeah. Now I can talk about it without crying. I mean, unless you talk to me about my children, then I cry. Um, honestly, that's a mother, you know? Yeah. Um, but honestly, I don't know what gave me that fear of going out. I just remember saying to my husband and I remember being with him and we were out and we came across people and they were like, Hey, how you doing? And I just, yeah, it was, it was a very big struggle for me. And so the tipping point of that was. Good question. Um, getting through, maybe getting through hard times and learning that I can overcome them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, maybe in the beginning and, and that's, I'm sure somebody sitting on the other line is thinking the same thing that, you know, I was just diagnosed yesterday and I'm doubtful about what tomorrow is going to bring. And I think that's normal. Um, I, re- I have to say my faith in God is what got me through all of that hmm. and getting through the chemo and getting good results. And even though I got good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, I don't know. I just guess I kept on holding on to that roller coaster, you know? Well, I, and I, I told God with him by my side, I'm just on the ride. I'm on the ride. But your testament here and what you're saying is proof that you get through it, right? Yeah, you have to. You have to. And whether it's for the people you love or for yourself, you know, you can. You can get through it. It's powerful stuff. You absolutely can. Uh, Before I I ask you one last question, I want to bring up your family. You mentioned your husband and your two sons. Going through all this, what was probably some of the the best things that your family did for you during this this time? You know, um, so there's a couple of things, and this is going to be hard because you know you're talking about like closest people in my life. Um, so when I started this, my older son Nicholas, he was 27, mm-hmm. and um, 
had uh, gotten engaged and we've since had the wedding and I now have a beautiful daughter-in-law. And this young lady actually took me to every single chemo treatment I had. She took time off work to take me on my chemo days. And it was so important to me to have somebody there. And she took notes every time the doctor spoke. And she could tell you exactly what happened on exactly what day to this day. She has notes. Um, So she was wonderful. And my son, Nicholas is always my strength. Um, I know this was really incredibly hard on him. But, um, you know, he just kept telling me, Mom, as a matter of fact, at one point he did send me a text and said, God's going to get you through this. You're too good of a person. And that meant a lot to me that my son sees me as a good person. Um, my younger son, Zach, I will tell you every single day for the last more than two years, waited on me hand and foot. If I went up to my room, which I have a ritual now that I say prayers at a certain time of day, it's usually in the evening. And uh, every night I would go upstairs and he would go up with me um, in case I needed a glass of water. He would ask me, mom, do you need anything? Mom, you look like you need an apple. Mom, let me bring you this, you know, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful kid. Um, man, I should say he's 24. He's not a kid. Um, but yeah, he was there every single day because he still lives at home. So he really went through this with me. He would, just really spend time and remind me that you're going to get through this. And my husband, I will say the best part about him and the memories that I have most are that he began to pray harder and he got back to church. And that was big because that was a promise that personally I made to God, you know, to see me through this Lord. Sorry. You don't have to be sorry. You know, see, just see me through this, Lord, and I'll get my husband back to church. So he's back to church. And uh, it's just been important to me, you know, that my kids and my husband and my new daughter-in-law, that we all, um, and my son's new girlfriend, that we all just remember that, you know, the whole reason for this family and being together in life every single day, breathing in and out, is because of God. Powerful and I stuff. I wouldn't be Jeff. out here. I wouldn't be here without him. So, yeah. It's powerful. So powerful. My last question for you, and this yes, is, uh, there's no right or wrong answer. This is how you see it. Okay. How do you define pancreatic cancer? What's your definition? Hmm. I definitely think it's a silent monster that can be beat. And we have to beat it and we have to find um, better ways, more knowledge, more strength in numbers, you know? Um, yeah, I just really think that it is something that, I mean, I'm never going to let this beat me. I will never. And I just want so many other people to just dig down deep and find that strength and that faith inside to, to beat it. 
I couldn't agree with you more, Kim. Yeah. Got to start spreading positive. We have to. It's, life's a lot easier when you do that and a lot more yeah. fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, La- and cherish every day because, you know, I mean, you know, when you hear pancreatic cancer, it is so scary because of the statistics. But the statistics aren't you. They're not me. They're in the past, you know, we're going to make our own new statistic. And that's what I think, you know, people really, really have to hold on to. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Last thing. And I know we mentioned it before you said mm-hmm. you started a blog. We talked about social media. I did. There's someone listening to this podcast and they just want to hear more from you or they want to connect with you, maybe talk to you offline about their journey that they're going through with pancreatic cancer. Where's the best place for people to connect with you, Kim? I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. And my blog is actually on Facebook, and it's called Pancreatic Cancer, A Journey of Faith. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to hear your story and, and to ask you some really hard questions. I know this probably wasn't easy. Uh, I think anytime you open yourself up, you, you kind of, everyone kind of feels a little bit vulnerable. So I really appreciate it. I was honored to, uh, to ask you these questions and to hear your story firsthand. And thank you for giving Project Purple the opportunity to share your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dino. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been a pleasure. And as we say here at Project Purple, that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. And if you like what you hear today, please share us, like us, and thank you for listening. Be-